Welcome to Dorothy's List, Vermont Public Radio's book club for kids, based on the books nominated for the state's Dorothy Canfield Fisher Award. I'm your host, Amy Noyes. Today, we're discussing the novel Refugee by the currently reigning Dorothy Canfield Fisher Award winner, Alan Gratz. For this episode, we visited Montpelier's Kellogg Hubbard Library. If you had to leave your home forever, but could only bring one suitcase, what would you pack? I haven't really thought that much about it, but I think the most important things is like a lot of money and a phone and maybe a blanket to keep warm or a really warm jacket. I um I picked things that are more like not of sentimental value for me than like what I would need. So I picked my great grandma's jewelry box. After reading Refugee, these Dorothy's List readers in Montpelier were thinking about what they'd bring on the run. The book weaves the stories of three refugee families fleeing their homes in different parts of the world and during different time periods. 12-year-old Bethany Hemingway Brush wondered why, out of all the refugee situations throughout history, the author chose these three storylines. Why did you choose those three places, since there's so many places? Was there anything that stood out in particular for you for those three? We put Bethany's question and questions from other Dorothy's List readers in Montpelier to author Alan Gratz. He says these three journeys really spoke to him. I started with Joseph's story and the story of the MS St. Louis. I was already writing books about World War II. I was familiar with the story of the MS St. Louis, uh, a, a ship that had more than 900 Jewish refugees who left Germany in 1939 looking for refuge, and they were turned away from Cuba. They were turned away from the United States. They were turned away from Canada and ended up going back to Europe just in time for World War II to break out. And, and many of them ended up back in concentration camps where where many of them died. And I wanted to tell this story. But Gratz says there wouldn't be a whole lot of action in an entire book written about people who were stuck on a ship for two weeks. The second storyline came to him while he was on a Florida vacation with his family. And we got up one morning and we said, hey, let's go for a walk on the beach. And that is where we found a raft that people had taken to come to the United States. It was homemade. It was made out of like metal from a shed roof and a motor stripped out of a tractor and, and, and hammered together with plywood and two-by-fours. Inside, there were wet clothes and empty bottles of water and half-eaten bags of candy. Nobody was on board the raft when we found it. They, I hope they already made it here to the United States. I've never known what happened to them. But seeing that raft, I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Why am I writing a book about refugees 75 years ago? When we have refugees right here, right now, like 100 yards away from where I was sleeping last night, why am I not telling that story? That experience led Gratz to write the story of Isabel, a girl who escapes Cuba with her family in 1994 by taking a homemade raft to America. Meanwhile, Gratz says the Syrian civil war and resulting refugee crisis were all over the news. That's what inspired the story of Mahmoud, a Syrian boy whose family escapes to Europe in 2015. And I thought, oh my gosh, look at what these people are going through. Why am I telling a story in the 90s? Why am I telling a story in the the 30s when we've got this? And I thought, wait a minute, why do I have to tell one story? Why do I have to pick one of them? What if I told all three of those stories and I wove them together? 
a big part of weaving the stories together is figuring out how the book will end. Sixth grader John Widener wondered, At the end of Refugee, where you sort of had all of the storylines, like, collide, I guess, were were you trying to send, like, a message with that or something? Without giving up any spoilers, Gratz says he was absolutely trying to send a message. So before I ever wrote the book, I knew how it was going to end. The only way I knew that I could write this book, that I should write this book, is when I realized that I could find connections between these families, um, that I could connect refugees from the 30s in Germany and the 90s in Cuba and the present day in Syria. And so I knew the ending going in, and yes, I had a very specific idea of what that would mean. One of the themes throughout the book is the idea of a better tomorrow. And Gratz says that's also a big part of the book's message. The real lesson, I hope, of the book is that that we've been doing the same thing, making the same mistakes, generation after generation. And that if we don't do something now to change that, tomorrow is going to be the same for the next group of refugees, wherever they're from and whatever they're suffering from and wherever they're trying to get to. 14-year-old Maya Elliott wondered if that lesson was Gratz's motivation for writing the book. When you wrote Refugee, was it your main purpose to educate people about what was and what is happening around the world? Or did you have another reason to write Refugee? My first thing I ever think about when I'm writing a book is is making sure that it's a book that nobody wants to put down, making sure that it's a book that's entertaining. Yes, clearly I had things I wanted people to learn about refugees in the world in this book and things I was trying to say. But my number one goal when writing Refugee and any of my books really is to make it an entertaining story, to make it one that you you just can't wait to read the next chapter. Here's Alan Gratz reading a part of Mahmoud's story from Refugee. He and his family have gotten out of Syria, and now they're on a ferry to Athens, Greece, along with a group of tourists. But of course, Mahmoud and his family aren't on vacation. They're fleeing for their lives. The vacationers dropped their voices, and even though Mahmoud couldn't understand what they were saying, he could hear the disgust in their words. This wasn't what the tourists had paid for. They were supposed to be on holiday, seeing ancient ruins and beautiful Greek beaches, not stepping over filthy, praying refugees. They only see us when we do something they don't want us to do, Mahmoud realized. The thought hit him like a lightning bolt. When they stayed where they were supposed to be, in the ruins of Aleppo or behind the fences of a refugee camp, people could forget about them. But when refugees did something they didn't want them to do, when they tried to cross the border into their country or slept on the front stoops of their shops or jumped in front of their cars or prayed on the decks of their ferries, that's when people couldn't ignore them any longer. Mahmoud's first instinct was to disappear below decks, to be invisible. Being invisible in Syria had kept him alive. But now Mahmoud began to wonder if being invisible in Europe might be the death of him and his family. If no one saw them, no one could help them. And maybe the world needed to see what was really happening here. Twelve-year-old Noel Westbaum wondered how long it took Gratz to write a book that's essentially three different stories from three different time periods. How long did it take to write Refugee? Did it take longer than another book because it requires so much research? It took me about a year and nine months to write this book. That's somewhat average for me for a book, but a lot more of this book was spent on research than it was on the writing. And because I had three different time periods and three different people and and places, I had to do a lot of different kinds of research. Gratz says he used books at his public library to research the stories of Jewish refugees in the 1930s. 
For the story of Cuban refugees in the 1990s, he relied on interviews with first-generation Cuban Americans, and he relied on contemporary news reporting for the present-day Syrian refugee story. And so each of the three different time periods and each of the three different stories had very different kinds of research, and that was that was new for me and difficult. So the other part of it was I was doing research right up until the moment that the book went to press. Like usually I finish writing a book and, and my editor and I, she helps me work on revising it and then we're done. But this one, things kept changing in the world. Things kept happening. Um, right before President Obama left office, he ended the wet foot, dry foot policy, which I had talked about in the book. And so I wanted to go back into my end notes and talk about that. Then, of course, we had a new president whose first uh, action in office was to specifically ban Syrian refugees coming to the United States. And then there were states suing him over that, and I wanted to put that in the book. Um, so I had a lot of things that were still happening in the world that I wanted to get into this book. And, and basically, we just had to finally say, enough. Things keep changing, but we have to go and print this book now. 12-year-old Ben Wetherill read those endnotes and had this question about Gratz's research. So at the end of the book, you had the real people you had you based your characters off of. How did you find out about those people? Gratz says all of his characters' experiences were based on things that happened to real people that he uncovered during his research through books, interviews, and news accounts. So Joseph is not a real kid from the MS St. Louis. Isabel is not a real girl who came to America on a raft. Mahmoud is not a real boy who left Syria with his family. But all the things that happened to them are based on things that really happened to real people. I didn't want to make anything up. And honestly... I didn't have to. So they are amalgamations. They're combinations of, of real people so that I didn't have to be bound to one person's story. And I felt like I could tell a larger picture of each of those stories by combining people's stories. Our last question comes from Maya Elliott, who said refugee has inspired her to work with her friends at school to raise money for organizations that help refugees around the world. Did you know that refugee would inspire people to make a difference and help, or are you surprised by the response of some of your readers? I did not know if refugee would have the impact that it has had. I wrote it, hoping that people would read it and that it would open their hearts and minds to refugees and maybe change some hearts and minds. But the reaction to refugee has been astounding. People are raising money for UNICEF. They are donating things to their local refugee aid organizations. They are speaking up and talking. One whole class that read refugee called up their congressperson and told them, hey, we think that refugees should be allowed in the United States. So the response has just been amazing. So yes, I wrote it hoping that people would do that, and it has exceeded my wildest expectations. Refugee is one of two books by Alan Gratz nominated for this year's Dorothy Canfield Fisher Award. Dorothy's List readers in Montpelier also had questions about Gratz's other title, Ban This Book. A special bonus podcast on that book is coming soon to VPR.net and wherever you get your podcasts. The book is Refugee by Alan Gratz. And special thanks to Kellogg Hubbard Library's Children's Programming and Circulation Librarian, Nicole Westbaum. Next time, we're reading Last Day on Mars by Kevin Emerson. That's the next selection on Dorothy's List. Ask your librarian for a copy so you can read along. <laughs> <laughs>